0: Volume Three, Chapter Two of Willard's Weird by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter Two. Lady Valeria fights her own battle. The two women stood face to face in silence for a few moments. Surprise made Hilda dumb. She gazed in unconcealed wonderment at the tall, pale face framed in white crape the delicate hybrid features refined almost to attenuation the luminous violet eyes with their long dark lashes eyes which alone gave life and color to the face lady valeria looked at the girl with so piercing a scrutiny that those brilliant eyes of hers seemed to burn into the face of her rival a scathing look measuring and appraising that modest girlish beauty cheapening those innocent charms in scornful wonder and this was the woman for whose sake she valeria had been flung away like an old glove this girl face with its candid blue eyes and babyfied bloom its broad white forehead ringed round with infantile curls of golden brown its delicately penciled eyebrows its coral lips and small white teeth for people who admire babies the girl is well enough thought lady valeria yet even her small knowledge of physiognomy taught her that the broad full forehead and the firmly moulded lips meant force of character and firmness of purpose that this girlish beauty was the beauty of a good and brave woman that here there was no reed for her to twist and rend to her own passionate will but a nature that was firmer and more concentrated than her own equal forces had met in these two the force of passion and the force of principle so you are miss heathcote said the pale lips at last after that silent interval in which hilda had heard the beating of her own heart You are the miss heathcote who is to marry bothwell graham? Yes, lady valeria bothwell has told me how kind a friend he had in general Harborough." returned hilda calmly Trying to feel at her ease under that searching gaze. I am very much flattered that you should come to see me I fear you will feel less flattered when you know the motive of my visit No, thanks. I prefer to stand she said curtly as Hilda wheeled a chair towards her guest and courteously invited her to be seated You'll hate me no doubt when you know why I am here and yet I am come to do you a service perhaps the greatest service which one woman can render to another What service Lady Valeria asked Hilda whose girlish bloom had been momently fading "'and who was now almost as pale as her visitor. "'I am here to save you from a most unhappy union, "'from a fatal union, "'from marriage with a man who loves another woman.' "'That is not true,' said Hilda very calmly. "'Whoever your informant may have been, "'you have been misinformed. "'I am as firmly convinced of Bothwell Graham's love "'and of the worth of his character "'as I am of my existence. "'I would as soon doubt one as doubt the other.' you are like most girls of your age reared in the country said lady valeria with quiet scorn you are very ignorant and you are very vain i suppose you imagine that you are the first woman bothwell graham ever loved that at seven-and-twenty he brings you a heart hitherto untouched by beauty that his senses only awake from a life-long torpor at sight of your exquisite charms that nothing less than your exceptional loveliness could kindle that cold nature into flame lady valeria if you came here only to insult me began hilda moving towards the door i came here to read you a lesson to save you from a life of misery if i can and you shall hear me said valeria passionately i am here for your sake do you understand to save you and your lover from an irreparable folly he would sacrifice his own happiness and a brilliant future from a mistaken sense of honor to you now i want you at least to know the manner of sacrifice he is going to make for you and if you are not made of wood if you have a woman's heart in your bosom you will release him release him what do you mean lady valeria this is sheer madness mr graham sought me of his own accord chose me deliberately for his wife in the face of great difficulties we are both completely happy in our love for each other our faith in each other there never was a fairer prospect of a happy domestic life than that which smiles upon us there is not a cloud or the shadow of a cloud between us the footman brought in a little bamboo table and arranged the old-fashioned silver tea-tray and during his brief interruption hostilities were suspended and both women composed their faces to placid neutrality lady valeria declined hilda's cup of tea proffered with a tremulous hand and directly the man had gone she coldly pursued her interrogation answer me one question miss heathcote do you believe yourself mr graham's first love no faltered hilda i know that there was someone else that there was an entanglement from which mr graham released himself honorably and completely before i accepted him as my future husband i made that condition when first he asked me to be his wife i waited until he could give me his assurance upon this point before i consented to marry him oh then you did know that there was someone exclaimed lady valeria with crushing scorn you did know that there was an entanglement or in plain words you knew that you were stealing another woman's lover lady valeria you have no right to say such a thing i have every right Yes, you knew well enough what you were doing in spite of your provincial bringing up. Every woman is wise in these matters. An entanglement, you say. Do you know, girl, that this entanglement of which you speak so flippantly was a passionate, all-absorbing love, a love that had lasted three years, that had braved all consequences, that had laughed at danger, a love that burns in every line of these letters? Read them read them girl and see what your entanglement means she had opened her reticule and had taken out a packet of letters while she was speaking she flung the packet on to a table near hilda read them miss heathcote i suppose you know mr graham's handwriting i suppose he has written to you i can see that they are in bothwell's hand," said hilda looking down at the bundle of letters as if they had been a nest of scorpions but i decline to read letters that are not addressed to me you are afraid to read them i will take it upon trust that they are love-letters may i ask if they were written to you general harborough's wife the calm and measured accents the steady gaze of those honest eyes the resolute attitude the small well-balanced head proudly erect the nervous hands clasped firmly on the back of a chair by which the girl was standing surprised lady valeria and with a far more pleasant surprise she had expected Hilda to be more easily crushed she had expected to see a lovesick girl sobbing at her feet ready to surrender her sweetheart at the first attack and instead of girlish weakness she found a woman prepared to do battle for her love the letters are addressed to me I should much like you to read them in order that you may understand the nature of Bothwell Graham's entanglement I decline to read them it is quite enough for me to know that he was in love with a married woman and that she encouraged his love she the wife of a good and brave old man she who by right of her noble birth should have been prouder truer purer than women of meaner race she stoops so low i am sorry that you came here lady valeria i am sorry that we have ever met very sorry that you have told me your secret it is everybody's secret by this time. a woman in my position is surrounded by lynx-eyed friends who read her inmost thoughts. Everybody knows that Bothwell Graham loved me and that I returned his love to you. This seems terrible, no doubt. yet I can tell you that I was a true wife to my husband, as the world estimates truth, and that he died honoring me. You, with your provincial inexperience and your narrow mind, cannot imagine a love which although unconquered could remain pure passionate intense devoted but unstained by sin such a love i cherished for bothwell graham and he for me We had promised each other that whenever my release came and in the course of nature it was not likely to be long deferred Our lives should be linked our love should be blessed I lived on in that hope and to bothwell as those letters would tell you that hope was no less dear than to me honor right feeling honesty were all involved in the promise which bound bothwell graham to me and i never for an instant doubted that he would keep that promise never doubted that he was mine till death but in an evil hour he met you he was under a cloud he was maddened by the idea that his neighbors thought the most horrible things of him you interposed with your girlish sympathy your sentimental prettiness you consoled you encouraged him in his dark hour and that impulsive nature was moved to a step which he has repented ever since he committed himself by an avowal which left him no possibility of retreat and to be true to you he has broken the most sacred promise that man ever made to woman you released him from that promise lady valeria never some hasty words passed between us on one occasion and we parted in anger but there was no question of a release from his solemn engagement to me he told me that the lady he had once loved had released him said hilda terribly crestfallen she could not believe that lady valeria harborough would tell her a deliberate lie she was convinced in spite of herself bothwell had deceived her i beg you to read those letters urged valeria if you do not read them you may think just a little worse of me than i deserve i do not pretend to be a good woman but i want you to know that my attachment to bothwell graham never degenerated into low intrigue you may hear the vilest things said of me perhaps by and by when it is known that mr graham is not going to marry me hilda took the letters she knew that the reading of them would wring her heart and yet the temptation was too strong to be steadfastly resisted slowly reluctantly almost as if under the influence of a mesmerist Hilda's hand was extended to the packet of letters. She took it up and looked at it for a few moments still hesitating The letters were folded lengthwise without their envelopes Bothwell's bold large hand was easy enough to read even at a glance Without untying the packet Hilda could see the nature of those letters My dearest love my life my ever beloved Such words as those scattered on the folded pages Told the character of the correspondence She had known from the first from his own lips that he had cared for another woman That he had been in some manner bound to that other woman his future life so compromised that he must needs win his release from that tie Before he could offer himself honorably to his new love She had known this and yet the sight of those impassioned phrases in the hand of her betrothed tortured her almost to madness she flung the packet from her, flung it at her rival's feet, as if it had been some loathsome reptile that had fastened on her hand. "'It is shameful, abominable,' she cried, "'such words as those written to another man's wife. I will read no more, not a line, not a syllable.' "'But you shall read, or you shall hear,' said Valeria, taking up the packet. "'You shall know what kind of vows this man made to me, this man who you are going to marry.' She drew a letter out haphazard and thrust it into Hilda's hand forced her to read by sheer strength of will watching her with flashing eyes all the while Hilda read words of such passionate vehemence that it was difficult to believe that transient feelings could have inspired them Words which told of rapturous delight in a reciprocal love and fondest hope of future Union words that made light of all things in earth and heaven as weighed against that all absorbing love she read of that scheme of the future in which the ultimate marriage of the lovers was counted on as a certainty and It was for her sake he had abandoned this old dream this plan of a life so long cherished It was for her an obscure country-bred girl who could bring him neither fame nor fortune That he had surrendered all hope of calling this brilliant high-born woman his wife and now the hour had come when he might have claimed her when his years of servitude being over he had but to wait the brief span society demands before he faced the world with this woman by his side the sharer of her social status her ample means surely this would have been a happy fate for him if there were any truth in these words of his words which seemed to scorch hilda's brain as she stood silent motionless poring over them you see said lady valeria after a long silence that once at least your lover loved me I Thought that once in such things meant forever answered Hilda with a quiet sadness as of one who speaks of the dead Yet the man who wrote this letter has talked and written of his love for me as tenderly if not as passionately as he has written here Yes, I knew that he had cared for someone else but not like this I did not think such a love as this could come twice in a lifetime you are wiser than I expected to find you, said Valeria with languid insolence. No child, men do not love like that twice in a lifetime. I had Bothwell Graham's heart at its best, his constancy, his devotion, and he would have been true to me till the end of his life had it not been for that business of the murder which made men look askance at him, and your childish pity which touched his heart when it was sorest. He was caught in the toils of his own affectionate nature. His grateful heart which always melted at the least kindness betrayed him and because he was sympathetic and grateful you thought he loved you and Now you stand between him and his first love You are the only barrier to a marriage which would make Bothwell Graham a rich man and me the happiest of women If you had heard him talk of our future if you had seen him planning our home You would hardly doubt that he meant to be happy with me Lady Valeria said Hilda my child i have seen your future home i have heard what kind of a life bothwell graham is to lead as your husband he is to be a schoolmaster cramming dull boys for impossible examinations grinding mathematics and theoretical engineering all day long and every day till his brain is weary going over the same ground again and again like a horse in a mill he is to be a nobody a plodding breadwinner living year after year in a godforsaken village far away from the great arena of life ground down by the fathers and patronized by all the mothers of his pupils he is to cherish no higher ambition than to be able to pay the butcher and the baker and to get himself a new coat before the old one is threadbare that is the life to which your generous love would condemn him we are not going to be quite such paupers as you imagine lady valeria i have a small income of my own which will at least pay the baker and i do not think bothwell's rich cousin would see him in want of a coat my dear miss heathcote it is only a question of degree granted that mr graham is sure of his breakfast and dinner his existence as a private tutor will be none the less a life of exile from all that makes life worth living from the world of art and letters from the strife and the glory of politics from the great world of distinguished men and women as my husband he would have had the ball at his feet his fortune would be large enough to command an opening in any career he might choose for himself his connections on my side of the house would be powerful enough to help him and his talents would undoubtedly bring him to the front in the house his career would be assured with his knowledge of india and indian war tactics he would inevitably make his mark there are hardly three men in the house of commons who have any real knowledge of that vast eastern world for which english politicians legislate you see i have dreamed for him thought for him all my ambition is for him and not for myself i am willing to believe that you love him lady valeria said hilda with frigid distinctness looking her rival full in the face since nothing but the blindest love could induce any woman in your position to lower yourself as you have done first in india as general harborough's wife and secondly to-day as general harborough's widow when you come to me and ask me to give up my betrothed husband the man to whom i am to be married next tuesday for i suppose that is the gist of all you have said to me I ask nothing from you, Miss Heathcote. I know the narrow view which most girls of your age, brought up as you have been, take of life and its obligations. I do not expect large-minded ideas from a young lady with your surroundings. This was said with infinite scorn of Hilda's rustic rearing, but I think it well that you should know how much Bothwell Graham surrenders for a privilege of having you for a wife of course it is quite possible that the recompense may be worth the sacrifice it is for you to judge of that i wish you good-day Hilda bowed and rang the bell without a word she did not accompany her visitor to the drawing-room door But stood in a stony silence looking out at the window in front of her with fixed eyes It was only when the outer door had closed on Lady Valeria that the girl flung herself on the nearest sofa and abandoned herself to her grief Alas, this entanglement of the past had been something more than a garland of roses. It had been a chain from which her lover had tried to release himself, but whose iron links yet hung about him. All the happiness was gone out of her life, all the sweet tranquillity which had been the holiest charm in her love for Bothwell, the deep faith in her beloved, the assurance of his trustworthiness, his unalloyed love for her. How could she ever again believe in that love after she had heard the history of his passion for another? After she had read of that wild infatuation in his own hand After she had seen the woman he had thus loved and thus addressed a woman to win and hold the love of men a Woman whose face had the subtle charm of supreme refinement and Distinction which is far above the peach bloom tints and perfect lines of stereotyped beauty in valeria the broken-hearted girl acknowledged a siren before whose fascinations the wisest man might be as a fool She compared herself with her rival she walked across the room and stood before the long console glass Contemplating her own image half scornfully half sorrowfully the pale tear-blotted face appeared at its worst robbed of the freshness that constituted half its beauty the slight and girlish figure looked insignificant as compared with valeria's statelier bearing the girl turned herself about and looked at herself at every angle as if she had been trying on a gown at her milliner's what a dowdy i am she said to herself just the very pattern for a schoolmaster's wife i doubt if lady valeria is more than an inch taller and yet she looks a queen it is the way she carries her head I suppose and the way she walks like a woman accustomed to command Yes, a man might well be proud of such a wife and of the position such a wife could give him Bothwell in Parliament Bothwell a great authority on Indian affairs how strange it sounds But I know how clever he is how well he can talk upon any subject It would be a splendid career for him and for my sake he is to forego all that and to drudge as a tutor in a Cornish village. Yes, I suppose it would be a dreary life for such a man, though it seemed so full of brightness when we two talked about it last week. For my sake, no, Bothwell, she said to herself resolutely, striking her clenched hand upon the marble table, no, Bothwell, not for my sake. You shall not surrender fame and fortune for my sake. And then seating herself on the old-fashioned window-seat, with clasped hands lying in her lap and steadfast eyes brooding on the ground in an attitude of deepest thought She retraced the history of bothwell's courtship She asked herself if she had verily been as Lady Valeria had insinuated herself half the wooer She remembered how in the beginning of their acquaintance she had admired Dora Willard's cousin how his riding his singing his conversation had alike seemed perfection how she had contrasted him to his wondrous advantage with the country squires around and about it was just possible that in her girlish inexperience she had betrayed her admiration had flattered bothwell into the idea that he liked her and then when the hour of trouble came it was true that she had made no effort to hide her feelings she had given bothwell her sympathy almost unasked she had perhaps lured him into declaring himself as her lover when the feeling which inspired him was but the impulse of the moment a transient emotion born of gratitude She could understand how in his self-contempt his wounded honor He had believed that his love for Valeria was a thing of the past and had been glad to release himself from that ignoble bondage But now that Valeria was free his first love fondly attached to him valuing her fortune and position only as a means for his advancement who could doubt that the old love would revive in his breast with all the old fervour that his heart would go back to his first beloved as a bird returns to its nest and was his whole life to be sacrificed because of this one mistaken impulse no the wrong was not yet irreparable the marriage planned for next tuesday need never take place hilda began deliberately to scheme out the manner in which she should set her lover free if the thing was to be done it must be done bravely and thoroughly not by halves there must be no half-hearted action no wavering no pretence of surrender offered in the hope that bothwell would refuse to accept his liberty no she must make the sacrifice as full and as effectual as that of jephthah's daughter she gave her life to save her father's honour she hilda could give her happiness her fair future the sweet ideal she had dreamed of the life which to every good woman seems of all lives most perfect, an existence spent in tranquil seclusion with the husband of her choice. After long brooding, deepest thought interrupted over and anon by a burst of passionate weeping, tears which would not be restrained, Hilda had made a plan. She would go away, quite away, where bothwell could not follow her. She would write him a letter which would leave him free to return to his old allegiance while she herself would disappear drop quietly out of the circle in which she was known and Remain hidden from all her friends for the next few months perhaps for a year At any rate until the joy bells had rung for Bothwell's marriage with his old love Alas those joy bells she had imagined them ringing for her own wedding. She had heard their sweet music in her dreams Where should she go? What should she do with herself during the time of hiding that was the question and it was a difficult one for this inexperienced girl to answer She had traveled so little that all the wide world outside her home was no more familiar to her than a chapter of geography She knew the names of mountains and rivers She had made her dream pictures of beautiful places and scenes in faraway lands but of railways and steamers of the mode and manner of journeying from one place to another of hotels and custom-houses and the exchange of money she knew hardly anything i Must go very far away to some place where he would not think of following me where he could never find me she said to herself Supposing that it would be a point of honor with bothwell to follow her to keep his plighted troth if it were possible she wanted to set him free to make it easy for him to go back to his old love she told herself that Lady Valeria had spoken the truth and that it was not possible for him to have forgotten that old love When he had married Valeria she Hilda would be free to come back to her home To take up the thread of her broken life and follow it on to the dreary end What joy could she have in her life having lost him? Only the joy of knowing that she had loved him better than herself cared more for his happiness than for her own the joy of woman's martyrdom after long deliberation after having thought of a trip to canada or a voyage to australia after having meditated upon various possible and impossible journeys she decided upon a very commonplace course of proceeding she had often heard it remarked of a levanting criminal that if he had stayed in london or any populous city he would in all probability have escaped his pursuers he would have been lost in the press of humanity like a bubble in a running stream Whereas the man who goes to America is almost inevitably traced and trapped She would not go to London a city she hated and where she might at any moment run against her Cornish friends all of whom paid occasional visits to the metropolis She would go to Paris where she would be lost among strangers where she could live quietly in some obscure quarter improving herself as a singer and a pianist until her time of probation was over and the announcement of bothwell's marriage told her that her sacrifice had been consummated she would so plan her life that her brother could know that she was well and cared for but even he should not know the place of her residence lest he should betray her secret to bothwell this idea of paris was partly traceable to an old influence until a year ago she had taken lessons from a bright little frenchwoman who had taught her music and singing and who had helped her incidentally with her french the lessons had been going on for three years when hilda was pronounced to have finished her musical education or at least to have learnt as much as mademoiselle Dupré could teach her and in those three years the little frenchwoman had been a weekly visitor at the spaniards coming all the way from plymouth to give her lesson and being driven back to the station by her pupil after a cheery luncheon which the little woman thoroughly enjoyed Mademoiselle Dupre claimed kindred with the famous French tenor of that name and had herself been a small celebrity in her way. She had sung at the opera house in the Rue Le Pelletier in the days when Falcon was diva and Alvis Juive was a success of the hour. Then came a fatal fever caught at Nice, where she had gone to fulfil an autumnal engagement. Louise Dupre lost the voice which had been her only fortune happily though the voice was gone the exquisite method learned from garcia and ripened at the feet of rossini still remained and by her excellence as a teacher of singing and piano mademoiselle Dupré had contrived to make a comfortable living first in paris and afterwards at plymouth whither she had come at the suggestion of edward heathcote who had made her acquaintance at the house of one of his parisian friends and who had recommended her to try a residence in devonshire as a cure for her delicate chest promising at the same time to do all in his power to help her in finding pupils at plymouth where he was at that time town clerk mademoiselle Dupre had followed mr heathcote's advice and had not waited long before she found herself fairly established in the devonshire seaport Hilda had been her first pupil, and Hilda she loved almost as a maiden aunt loves the prettiest and most amiable of her nieces. It was Hilda she quoted to all her other pupils. You should hear a dear young friend of mine, Miss Heathcote of Bobmin, sing that song, she would say, and an eloquent shrug of her shoulders and elevation of her eyebrows would express how wide the difference between Miss Heathcote's perfection and the shortcoming of the performer then in hand hilda was very fond of the lively little parisienne loved to hear her talk and to learn of her hung upon her words as she expounded the delicacy of her native language hilda had petted and made much of the little woman whenever she came to the spaniards had never spent a day in plymouth without paying her old mistress a visit and now in her sorrow and difficulty it was of louise Dupré she thought as the one friend who she could trust with her secret and who would be able to help her. Hilda went to her own room before Frulein Meyerstein returned from her afternoon walk with the twins. Those well brought up infants were ruthlessly sent from their playroom, their rocking horse, and their doll's house an hour after their early dinner and were taken for afternoon drill by the Frulein. Needless to say that they detested the formal trudge along dusty lanes and abhorred the beauties of nature encountered along the way but their health no doubt profited by this severe regimen Hilda shut herself in her own rooms for the rest of the evening with the usual plea of a headache But she was up before daybreak next morning and by six o'clock She had packed a small portmanteau and a gladstone bag with her own hands and Carried them down surreptitiously to the stable yard where she gave them to an underling with directions to put them in the pony cart and take them to bodmin road station in time for the eight o'clock train she herself intended to walk to the station as her appearance on foot would be less likely to attract attention than in the pony-cart with the luggage so in the dewy morning alone and unattended with ashen cheeks and eyelids swollen by long weeping hilda heathcote crept out of her brother's house and walked across the hills trusting to the keen breath of the autumn wind to obliterate the traces of a night of anguish before she arrived at the station. She had written a long letter to Bothwell. This she carried with her to post in Plymouth. And she had left letters for her brother and for the frulein. No one need be made uneasy at her disappearance. End of chapter two.